0: Well, let's jump right into it. And when he, when Sloan mentioned Jeremiah, says, "Don't go to my scripture," because that's where we're going to go, is uh, Jeremiah. Um, I, I thought about as a couple of weeks ago. I kind of used Jeremiah about don't be afraid of their faces. And uh, and Brent, I don't think you got to hear that one. You, you pull it up on podcasts. I think you'll like it. Uh, but I probably had a little bit more liberty, you know, where you might say, you said all of that? Uh, Tuesday, of course, you know what October 31st is, right? Yeah, it's the last day of October. It's the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's protest about excesses in the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, which he was a Roman Catholic monk and uh, a leader, a professor at the Theological Seminary there in Wittenberg, so... um, I'm probably not saying it like it's supposed to be said in German, but there it is. But I believe I have a trivia for you that very few people in this building will know about, except those in our Thursday morning hardy small group and a couple other places. Um, back in 1934, Pastor Michael King of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta in 1934 took a trip to Germany, and was so inspired by the uh, history there of Martin Luther's Reformation that when he came back to the U.S., he officially changed his name to Martin Luther King. He had a five-year-old son birth named after him Michael King Jr., that he legally changed his five-year-old son's name into the well-known Martin Luther King Jr., How many knew that story before I just said it? How many knew that story? They said that people who knew them when he was little still referred to him as Mike. And it's, you know, you think about how did Martin Luther affect the world? Well, I'm telling you, he affected that pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church to the point that he wanted to carry his name. That's not a small thing. And so there's that history. Last Sunday, we had communion, and that was one of the things that uh, all of this kind of made a little different how churches celebrate communion, how we celebrate baptism. But it made me think about some things about Jeremiah, because I want to share with you God's promise for restoration. You can take reformation, but really, what reformation was all about was a restoration of biblical doctrine, of theology. Um, Martin Luther was in a tower, uh, he was in prayer, and in this tower, he was reading Romans, and in Romans 117, it just burst into his spirit that this is the way people are saved. They're not saved by doing good things and by confession and absolution and, and going through the motions that they had in their liturgy. He realized we're only saved by one way, and it's through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And he came to treasure that Roman's idea that you're justified by faith and faith only. And he dove back into the scriptures. They said that he lived in the Bible, that most monks and most uh, Catholic priests did not read much of the Bible. They had their liturgy. But he was consumed with this passion of diving into God's Word. And that's what we're going to do this morning in Jeremiah. Um, I'm just going to refer to Jeremiah 29. You know How many of you know Jeremiah 29 11? It's, uh, it's, it makes a really good little stick-on note on your mirror. It goes like this. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. And a future. Now, one of the reasons I brought this Bible, this is a Bible I used in my first pastor in Lake City, Florida, from 1975 to 1978. And yes, I am that old. Um, but when you look through it, every, every chapter heading has got the, the year that the translators and the ones who put this study Bible together said, by what year do we think Jeremiah wrote this? And when you look at Jeremiah 29, this is, um, some of you might remember these, PTL, study Bible. How many of you know what PTL? <laughs> so that goes back a, far, a, a little ways. At the start of chapter 29, it says 596 B.C. is about the time that Jeremiah wrote this. 596 is in- interesting because it's at a time in Judah's history where the first group of people that has been taken captive by Babylon is, is there. And if you look at the first part of chapter 29, there's some, there's some uh, false prophets. There's, there's, there's this taken away of, of a lot of people. There's like 10,000 people taken captive. There's prophets, there's priests. There's a king that's been taken. Jehoiachin has been taken captive. And so they get there, and the prophets there are starting to tell people, don't worry, God is going to get us out of this mess really soon. And if you look at the start of chapter 29, that's not what it says. In verse 8, this is what it says. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets... And diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams to encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. They were, they were invoking God's name. And he says, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans. Does it change verse 11? You can pull verse 11 out of that and you can make it for anything. But that's not the context of it. This was a letter Jeremiah was sending to these refugee camps in Babylon where they were being told, don't worry about it, we're going to get out of here, God's going to get us out of here, I've had a dream, I've had this, I'm prophesying to you, this is the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah says, they're lying to you. And, and God is not going to do it next week, next year, or in 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, not even 40, 50, or 60. You will be there 70 years, and if you read the rest of that, he's telling them, marry, have your weddings, uh, pray for the communities you're living in, don't get so out of out of touch with your surroundings that you abhor the people around you. Bless them, fit in, because you're going to be there a while, and nobody likes to hear anything about a delayed blessing. We are all want about an immediate blessing from the Lord, right? We don't want any delay. And you jump over to chapter thirty. In Jeremiah, and it's still the same year. He, he's still speaking from that same vein, this idea that God is going to return them back to land shortly. Don't, give, don't, don't think about any of this. Don't, don't try to buy any property. He's telling them just the opposite. But there's no way for me to really get you to look at chapter 30 unless I just ask you to look at chapter 30. And if you don't have it on your phone, I want you to follow it with me if you don't have your Bible. So here it is, Jeremiah 30. This is the word that came to Jeremiah the Lord. This is the same year, may not be the same exact setting, but the same period of time. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I've spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity. And restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. And if you just read that without reading 29 and those 70 years, you get to thinking, well, this is going to happen pretty fast, right? Verse 4, these are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says, cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do you see every strong man with his hands on his stomach? Like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale. These were troublesome times. How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear their bond, tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I raise up, will raise up For them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely, you know, he talks at times about what they did and why he's judging them. But if you read all of this, he talks more about what his plans for them are. He certainly judges them. This is a horrific judge, and it's not even close to being over. They've already had 10,000 people. Daniel and his three friends, I mean, they were one of the first ones to be taken. They were like promising college students. So they they went in, and and they just didn't take anybody. They researched, and they wanted craftsmen and tradesmen. They they just didn't want to take anybody. They wanted to take people who could contribute to their well-being in Babylon. So he says, don't be afraid. Verse 11, I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I've scattered you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. It's almost like a parent talking to their child, right? And he even mentions one time, he says, you know, Ephraim is my firstborn. These are are my children that I'm talking to. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. What he's telling me is that there's no remedy you can come up with. I'm the only one that can heal your wound. But what's going on, you can't fix it. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. He's talking about outside of the Lord. All your allies have forgotten you, all your friends. They care nothing for you. I've struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel, because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But, all through here, but all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. The wounds he said it's incurable, he said, I will heal those wounds because you are called an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes. And you ought to underline that because this is the whole theme of what God is telling them. They are in a terrible situation, and God is giving them a promise of restoration. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor. They will not be disdained. Their children will be as in the days old. He said, what you used to remember as wonderful times. I'm going to bring them back Their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be as one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who devotes himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. This is where I think you ought to put next it. The sovereignty of God overlooks our worst days. And our worst days are not going to be our final days or the days that are necessarily ahead of us. He said the purposes of God will, accomplish, will be fully accomplished of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. In verse, I think it is uh, 18, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tent. And remember, this is 596 B.C., just one year after Babylon took 10,000 people captive, including leaders of the royal family. Jehoiachin was among them. His, His family was among them. They took all of them captive. And Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah, Jehoiachin's brother, in as a puppet king. So look at verse 10 in, verse, in chapter 31. i want to jump to chapter 31 because chapter 31, if you look in this study Bible, it says 596 B.C. Isn't that neat that they put a Bible like this? I pull this out when I says I wonder what time that was written. 596, same time, chapter 31. Do you like being in Jeremiah? It's pretty cool. We're just hanging out with Jeremiah for a little bit. Verse 10, look at verse 10 of Jeremiah 31. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, so if any of you are worried about that, I already did that with chapter 30, so that's it. Full chapter reading is done. But I am going to pull some things out of this chapter. And we're not even close to what I really want to get to. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them. And will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil, the young of the flocks, the herds, they will all be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more." I think maybe when they were hearing these words, it's like, well, you have to wait 70 years for that. Well, okay, we'll just... But isn't he giving them reason to hope? Beyond, I mean, this 70 years is 70 years, but it's like, but that's not going to define you in the end. And he says in verse 13, "...the young women would dance and be glad young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty," declares the Lord. Again and again, people are are huddled up in these refugee camps, hundreds of miles away from home, and they're hearing these words of a prophet who nobody likes But he's telling them, God's got an answer for all of this. Because when you look at uh, chapter 32, we're going to get there in just a moment, Jeremiah's in jail. That constitutional right to speak wasn't there, I guess. But uh, he's in jail. But nine years before, he's telling them all this, and he's still out in the streets preaching this. So they're kind of still tolerating him. But there was no need for impatience. This is what he's telling them. This was a correction of deep-seated attitudes. They survived a major this here's Zedekiah's in charge. Okay, he, he's in charge. He's been a year in office. And he's watched his father be defeated by Babylon. He's watched his brother taken off to Babylon with a bunch of people with him and with royal family members. And you know, this guy's not smart enough to learn. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. They're at a diminished state as a nation. And he thinks he can get away with what the other two did not get away with. But Jeremiah's talking about there's going to be not just a change with the national structure of things when all this happens. But look at verse 31. This is a chapter where he talks about that God's going to change people's hearts. He's going to write a new covenant in the hearts of people. Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant, verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It won't be on tablets of stone. It will be grafted into their souls. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. I thought about this passage when we were singing, I want to know you more. He said, we're not, you're not going to need for people to tell people, know the Lord. Look what he says. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Do you like that idea? We talked about that, right? I think on Wednesday night, that God doesn't forget about your sins. He chooses not to remember them, which is even better. In verse 35, this is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine at night, who stirs up the sea so its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these things... Only if the sun, the moon, the stars, and the tide of the ocean can change and vanish from my sight will Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. God points to the sun. He points to the moon and stars. He points to the oceans, and he says, if you can change all of that, then Israel will no longer be my nation. Pretty powerful statement, isn't it? This is what the Lord says. Only the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out. I know you're thinking, you said you're not going to read the entire chapter. I'm not reading the entire chapter. I didn't read the first nine verses. (laughs) I don't know. When's the last time you read Jeremiah? Are you reading it now? How's that? This is what the Lord says. Only the heavens above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth below be searched out Will I reject all the descendants of Israel. Because of all they have done. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city will be rebuilt from me, from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measure line will stretch from there straight to the hill of Gareb, and then go on to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes were thrown, are thrown, and all the terraces out of the Kidron Valley on the east, as far as the corner of the horse gate, will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted demolished. I could only give you bits and pieces of this, but I wanted you to get a bigger picture than that. That Jeremiah is preaching to people who've been been told by other preachers just the opposite. Now, we don't have that today, right? People that prophesy and like, I don't know about that. I've even heard that there's a Bible that oil is coming out of. It's kind of like gold dust landing on people. Wow. Okay. What is that? We have, we have, we don't have anything different than they had then. People that said, this is a better message. People don't like you preaching, Jeremiah, about our defeat. We like to hear preachers saying. God is going to wipe Babylon out. Oh, yeah. We like that prophecy better, but it was not true. So here he is preaching nine years later. Look at chapter 32. I won't read all of that either. But he's in jail. And I look over here, and it says 587 B.C. So this is nine years later. The way they can date it is because it dates it by Zedekiah's rule. It's 10 years into Zedekiah's rule. It's one year into his rule when you see 31 and 30. It's one year into his rule. Nine years later, Zedekiah's had enough of Jeremiah. He locks him up in his own, like he has his own jail in his house. The, the, the royalty residents, we're going to put you down there and shut you up. And yet, here he is, he's under arrest, and God speaks to him and says, you've got a cousin, Hanamel, that's coming to you, and he wants to sell you a, a piece of property, a field. And when he comes to you, I want you to buy it, 17 shekels of silver, and And sure enough, here comes Hanamel. You're the closest kin. I want to sell this piece of property. I'm obligated to offer it to you first before I sell it to anyone else. And and he tells Jeremiah to buy it. Well, Jeremiah buys it. And he weighs out the 17 shekels of silver. And they have the formality of the deed, the parchment there, and signing and sealing it. And the witnesses all around, I guess they had a audience down there in that jail cell and, uh, and he tells Baruch, he says take this and go and record it and put it in a clay jar so it can last a long time. I'm not making this up, you can read it right there, it's in front of you so later the prophet declares God's reason for doing what he's doing he's telling well, let me just dive into verse 26 okay, are you there? Jeremiah 32, verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You see, the reason why Jeremiah was buying property 60 years out, you know, there's already already been 10 years of captivity that he wrote about in 29. 60 more years, and he's buying property because he's telling him, I'm going to buy this piece of property because... The day will come when all of you and your children, he probably was not alive when all this happened. He's prophesying. The day will come where property's going to be bought, there's going to be people building homes, and everything's going to be back to a better place than it's ever been. But he's buying this property to show people that he trusts his own prophecy. And God is giving him this, this moment to show them that he's serious. Why would he buy a piece of property he felt like, that his descendants wouldn't have any connection to, that, that all the rest of them would be in Babylon someday. So this is the point. In verse thir- 28, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians. And here's some of this negative stuff again. <laughs> he says one good thing. I'm about to give this city to the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. The Babylonians who are attacking this city will come in and set it on fire. They will burn it down. Along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods, the people of Israel, Judah, have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. Pretty bleak, isn't it? You know I didn't mention this, but nine years early, when in, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and took ten thousand, he also took all the gold out of the temple, all of their instruments of worship that they used, the gold instruments that was part of their sacred, part of their worship. He he just raided the temple of all of its gold. He said, "Well, could it get any worse?" Well, it got worse. It got very worse. From the day was built, he said, now the city has aroused my anger. The people of Israel, Judah, have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings, officials, their priests, prophets, the people of Judah, those living in Jerusalem, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their vile images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of ben Hinnom." to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, though I never commanded it, nor did it ever enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. But this is not the end of the chapter. I'm not reading all of it. But I'm going to read the finishing of it. Verse 42. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. He gives this litany of stuff. They were sacrificing their children to a false God. They had brought idols into the temple that had the name of the Lord. And you know what surprises is not that God judged them that way, that it took that long for him to judge them. When R.C. Sproul was asked, what do you think about God destroying entire cities in the Old Testament? He said, the amazing thing to me is he lets us, any of us live. <laughs> okay. Verse 43, once more fields will be bought in this land of which you say it's desolate, it's waste, it's about people, it's about animals. For it's been given to the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver. Remember the... The piece of ground Jeremiah bought. Deeds will be signed, sealed, witnessed in the territory of Benjamin and villages around Jerusalem and the towns of Judah and in the towns of the hill country of the western foothills of the Negev because I will restore... There it is. What does he say? I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. As bad as it was, God had a word for these people that this is not the end of the story. If the musicians will come up, this is, I shared this message because I really felt like one day just up here praying by myself in the sanctuary one day, that God began to change me from just focusing on the Reformation to restoration. And just began to give me this sense that God is going to restore the people here today. He's going to restore you. There's some here that's been in a dry place. You've been in a place of barrenness. You've been in a place of struggle. You've been in a difficult place. But God is saying to you, that's not the end of the story. He wants to restore you. And I tell you what he wants to restore to the church, and I've I've got a few things up here. Sloan, did you find? You didn't? Okay. And this is a good example. When you try to find anointing oil, and the only ones I can find is on my keychain and in my office. That's an indictment. Where's praying for the sick? I remember my mom dragging us to church with, that probably accused her of child abuse now. Sick as we could be. And she said, We got to get there early and let Brother Carter anoint you and pray over you. Pray over. Some of you are battling maladies and sickness. But we walk out of this room without giving you an opportunity to be prayed over. Not today. Not today. You walk out, it'll be because you just decided not to get prayed for. Because God wants to restore healing to his church. Miracles to his church. He wants to restore the fullness of the Holy Spirit to his church. I wanted us to sing the last song in our worship set. I changed my mind. Sorry about that. I meant to tell you.